0: Chapter 15, the second anointing. Let the anointing of thy ministers be sealed upon them with power from on high. For this anointing have I put upon his head, that his blessing shall also be put upon the head of his posterity after him. And as I said unto Abraham concerning the kindreds of the earth, even so I say unto my servant Joseph, in thee and in thy seeds shall the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Doctrine and Covenants 109, 35, also 124, 57 through 58. The second anointing is a temple ordinance that is intended more for couples than it is for singles, and now in the 21st century it is no longer regarded as an essential ordinance, which one must receive during mortality to achieve exaltation. Students of church history uncover some wonderful stories about the administration of this ordinance in the early days of the church. During the pioneer era of church history, stake presidents held two separate temple recommend books in their offices at church. One was for what we refer to as the endowment, the other was for the second anointing. I do not claim to have a full understanding of the second anointing, but I believe that this ordinance includes formally bearing the name of Christ, being sealed up unto eternal life, and the washing of the feet to finalize the initial endowment, which was merely an initiation designed to bring one to a fullness in time, through his or her faithfulness in the second estate. This is comparable to the ordinance that Jesus performed for his disciples in the upper room prior to his crucifixion. See John 13:12. What Jesus did in the upper room was to perform an ordinance found only in holy places such as temples, where those who are to bear his name are cleansed from the blood and sins of this wicked generation. See Doctrine and Covenants 88:74 through 75, also section 137:41. This ordinance was a true manifestation of the Savior's supreme love to seal his friends up into eternal life in his father's kingdom as we ponder and pray in a t- In an attempt to understand the deeper meaning of this holy ordinance, we may remember that when we renew our covenants each week in the sacrament meeting, we do not formally take upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ as an unbreakable bond which formally obligates us to be his faithful disciples. We simply witness that we are willing to do so. Doctrine and Covenants 93, 19-23 provides us with some splendid insights into the second anointing. I give unto you these sayings, that you may understand and know how to worship, and know what you worship, that you may come unto the Father in my name, and in due time receive of his fullness. For if ye keep my commandments, ye shall receive of his fullness, and be glorified in me, as I am in the Father. Therefore I say unto you, you shall receive grace for grace. And now verily I say unto you, I was in the beginning with the Father, and am the firstborn. And all those who are begotten through me are partakers of the glory of the same, and are the church of the firstborn. Ye were also in the beginning with the Father, that which is spirit, even the spirit of truth. In Doctrine and Covenants 88, 3-5, we read a revelation from December 27, 1832. Wherefore, I now send upon you another comforter, even upon you, my friends, that if ye abide in your hearts, that it may abide in your hearts, even the Holy Spirit of promise. Which other comforter is the same that I promised unto my disciples, as recorded in the testimony of John? This comforter is the promise which I give unto you of eternal life. Even the glory of the celestial kingdom, which glory is that of the church of the firstborn, even God, the holiest of all, through Jesus Christ his Son. Remember the story in John 13, 3-17, just before the feast of the Passover. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come... From God, and went to God. He riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For ye knew who should, for he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Yet Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Let us now look at this triumph, uh, no, at this through a historical sequence of events. November 1st, 1831, he granted unto his disciples the authority to seal both on earth and in heaven. Doctrine and Covenants 1.8 A few weeks later, he indicated that God the Father would reveal to his servants who it is that should be sealed up into eternal life by this sealing power. Doctrine and Covenants 68.12 after teaching them about the proper salutation by uplifted hands, instituted in the school of prophets in Kirtland, Ohio, the Lord then formally instituted the ordinance of the washing of the feet, as is found in Doctrine and Covenants 88 138 through 40, 141. And ye shall not receive any among you in this school, save he is clean from the blood of this generation. And he shall be received by the ordinance of the washing of the feet, for unto this end was the ordinance of the washing of the feet instituted. And again, the ordinance of washing feet is to be administered by the president or presiding elder of the church. It is to be commenced with prayer, and after partaking of bread and wine, he is to gird himself according to the pattern given in the thirteenth chapter of John's testimony concerning me. Amen. Later, when the prophet Joseph Smith administered this ordinance, he stated that those who received it were not only clean in a ritual sense, but were also sealed up unto eternal life. After about 1920, the leadership of the church began to restrict the performance of the second anointing in the temples, in part, I believe, because there were accountability issues involved with holding the saints to this much higher standard. Once they had received their first anointing and initiation to become one day, the second anointing, was formally completing the initial anointing and they were left to make mistakes and offend one another, or to succumb to the pressures of the world and yet remain, uh, retain the exaltation which had been sealed upon them. This is where the buffetings of the world came in. Essentially, this means that as long as they do not commit blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, they will yet work out their exaltation and in time receive their blessings in full. The second anointing is linked in many ways to the entire theme of section one thirty-two, verses twenty-six through twenty-eight of the Doctrine and Covenants, the New and Everlasting Covenant, couples being sealed, their sealings being ratified by the Holy Spirit of Promise, etc. This is so much. There is so much to be learned here. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man marry a wife according to my word, and they are sealed by the Holy Spirit of Promise according to my appointment, and he or she shall commit any sin or transgression of the New and Everlasting Covenant, whatever, and in And all manner of blasphemies, and if they commit no murder wherein they shed innocent blood, yet they shall come forth in the first resurrection and enter into their exaltation. But they shall be destroyed in the flesh and shall be delivered unto the buffetings of Satan unto the day of redemption, saith the Lord God. The blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, which shall not be forgiven in the world nor out of the world, is in that ye commit murder wherein ye shed innocent blood and ascend unto my death after ye have received my new and everlasting covenant, saith the Lord God. And he that abideth not this law can in no wise enter into my glory, but shall be damned, saith the Lord. I am the Lord God and will give unto these the law of my holy priesthood, as was ordained by me and my father before the world was. A friend of mine works as an administrator in the temples and special projects divisions of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He told me once that as the construction of a new temple is completed, one of the last things that he does is to present the new temple president with the keys to that special room that is accessible from one of the ceiling rooms. In Elder James E. Talmage's book entitled House of the Lord, he speaks of a Holy of Holies in the Salt Lake Temple, which is reserved for the higher ordinances in the priesthood relating to the exaltation of both living and dead. Interestingly enough, in an interview with Elder Theodore Burton, which took place on December 8, 1966, he told Kenneth W. Godfrey that the complete Nauvoo Temple book was in the Salt Lake Temple. He further stated that in this book was the full ceremony relative to giving second endowments or second anointings. He commented that this is confidential and only given by when called by the first presidency of the Church. This, of course, leads us back to Section 131, verses 1 through 4 of Doctrine and Covenants, wherein an explanation is given regarding the differing levels within the celestial kingdom. In the Celestial Glory there are three heavens or degrees, and in order to obtain the highest a man must enter into the into this order of the priesthood, meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. If he does not, he cannot obtain it. He may enter into the other, but that is the end of his kingdom. He cannot have an increase. Thus we see how the fullness has always been intended for couples, and I believe that the righteous desire will be bestowed one day upon each child of light that oversees, overcomes the world, and not only desires, but also has earned the blessings with a pure heart. The title heading for the fourth chapter of Isaiah not in older versions of the scriptures. Page 866 in the Old Testament states, Zion and her daughters shall be redeemed and cleansed in the millennial day. Compare 2 Nephi 14. Verse 1 from this chapter reads, And in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat of our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name and take away our reproach. Is it true that particularly in the early days of the millennium, All those that wish to take advantage of the fullness of the priesthood will have the opportunity to do so? I think so. At the same time, it is my opinion that the daughters of God are inherently more spiritual than the brethren. Remember that neither the man is without the woman. The oath and covenant of the priesthood is all about the temple, a system, a progression through which we become one with the Father and receive all that he has. This is comprised in verses 33-42 through of Doctrine and Covenants 84. And he that receiveth... Me, receiveth my father, and he that receiveth my father receiveth my father's kingdom. Therefore, all that my father shall hath shall be given unto him. And this is according to the oath and covenant which belongeth to the priesthood. Therefore, all those who receive the priesthood receive the oath and covenant of my father, which he cannot break, neither can it be moved. I can assure you that if you will go to the father in faith, he will provide all of the clarification necessary. Fullness means a fullness of joy, a fullness of priesthood, and a fullness of all blessings accomplished through an incremental process in accordance with the steps outlined in the sample scriptures that I have posted above.